Welcome to Mapping Healthy Minds, a podcast for people who want a better sense of mental health and how to achieve it. I'm Justin Lewis, your host and licensed marriage and family therapist. On this episode is Claire Parsons. Claire is an attorney, uh, and I'll get through her CV here in a minute. But I just wanted to let you know that Claire is uh, someone who is kind of unique to the show. She uh, is not technically a trained mental health professional, but she has learned a thing or two about mindfulness, and she has an interesting um, group that she is a key part of that uh, is all about female lawyers taking care of themselves. So I am going to uh, talk to Claire about uh, mindfulness, how she has used it, how other people in the professional world can use that, and a little bit about her program that she is uh, a big part of called Mother's Esquire. But before that, here is uh, a little background information on Claire. Claire E. Parsons is a member of Adams, Stepner, Walterman, and Dusing, PLLC, in the Cincinnati area where she focuses her practice in the area of civil litigation, local government law, and school law. In her 12 years of practice, she has managed an active practice, a growing family, a voracious writing habit, and a long history of community leadership, including her current service on the board of Mother's Esquire. Claire attributes her ability to balance her many roles to her meditation practice that she began years ago and has fine-tuned with careful study and attendance at several meditation retreats. In the years since starting her practice, Claire has presented and published articles about mindfulness for lawyers and other professionals for local, state, and national organizations. You can learn more about Claire or follow her at www.linkedin.com backslash in backslash Claire Parsons. And also, Mapping Healthy Minds podcast is sponsored by Compass Counseling. We all have mental health and taking care of it can't wait. You can learn more about Compass Counseling or book an appointment online at compasscounseling.com. Compass offers online counseling and in-person counseling in Paducah, Henderson, and Owensboro, Kentucky. Here is my interview with Claire. I like the name Claire. It's like warm enough, but also like not too sweet where it's like people are going to think, oh, a little Claire, but at the same time, it's not like, it's a good middle, meet in the middle. Yeah, I mean, I probably have Felicia Rashad to thank for that, right? For uh, um, uh, Claire Huxtable. So um, yeah. I guess the other direction would be, uh, isn't that the name of the uh, actress on um, House of Cards? Or the the character on House of Cards, Claire. It might be. I don't. I've never watched House of Cards. I just don't mm. like political dramas that much. Um, I've heard it was good, but I just never got into it. Um, so yeah, it might be. Um, but it, it's uh, it's. I was supposed to be John Harlan, a Supreme Court justice, um, but I came out a girl. <laughs> so, um, and uh, I actually wrote a post on that on Saturday uh, that. You know, there just weren't any female Supreme Court justices uh, yet. Sandra Day O'Connor had just been appointed, so she didn't have much of a legacy at the time. Yeah. I would have been fine being Sandra, but, you know, we didn't know much about her yet. Um, sure. So I, th- I don't know if it, I don't remember when, I don't know if it was Claire from like, the, if it was the Cosby show, because it was mm-hmm. 1983, um, but my dad just liked the name. And so they just went with Claire. So, but it means clear and bright. 
Um, so, oh, you know, you go. it's good for a, an attorney to get, you know, clear, you know, and be bright. So yeah, it's good. I'd say those traits pretty much are universal for any, anything. Justin means justice. I feel like that would have been a good attorney name possibly, mm-hmm. or maybe judge name. I don't know. I noticed on your uh, LinkedIn that you were a proud introvert. What is, yep. uh, what is it about being an intro- introvert that makes you proud? And then I'll share what I, makes me being an introvert makes me proud. <laughs> honestly, like I think we need more introverts in positions of power. I think if we didn't tilt so heavily towards extroverts in America, I think we'd be better off. Um, and I think that we're getting there um, slowly. Um, I'm not the most introverted person in the world. I have tested on Myers-Briggs as like introvert and extrovert. I've been INTJ or ENTJ, um, (laughs) but I definitely have introverted tendencies in terms of I just don't require a lot of stimulation. I don't like loud noises. Um, Like when I was a kid, I was afraid of fireworks and things like that. Um, I can sit, you know, by myself for long periods of time. It doesn't bother me. Actually, I need to reach out and get support, but, um, you know, I, I don't need it. Um, and so, um, when I started practicing, especially when I was a law clerk, I clerked for a big firm and, um, I ended up not getting a job offer there after my first summer. And it was because the program there was not looking for who was a good attorney, but who was an extrovert. Mm -hmm. They had us do all of these, like, happy hour type things. Um, They Mm -hmm. had us always going to lunch. We were always in one big room all together. Uh, I hated it. And it wasn't because the people were bad or the firm was bad. It was quite the contrary. It just wasn't suited to me. And then I clerked at my firm the following summer and they actually cared about whether I could write and be a lawyer. (laughs) And it was a much smaller setting. And I was like, it was like night and day. Um, and I found myself then eventually I learned how to, you know, build a community, engage in leadership, follow things that I care about, um, use my skills. And I learned, I was good at networking. I was good at business development. It was just that first experience made me doubt myself for a long time. And I know a lot of other lawyers are in the same situation. And so I say proud introvert because I want other people who are introverts and who are nervous and don't know exactly how they need to go about um, building their book or representing their clients to, to see that somebody else was in the same boat. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. I think um, as an introvert, <clears throat> we are discriminated against sometimes, but I think the tide's, the tide is turning a little bit, but it, it got me thinking somewhat whenever I saw you describe it that way um, about what, I've come to like about it. And I think it is that I enjoy my default mode being an introvert. <laughs> like I like like my homeostasis. I can, if I need to kind of turn up the crank and be more uh, someone who reaches out and tries to um, uh, do some sort of uh, networking or uh, you know, tone it back, but I really like the homeostasis of being an introvert and being thoughtful and being able to put some things together um, in that way. Yeah, I, I kind of, I mean, I have this sort of inclination to pair things in myself that people don't think go together. Mm-hmm. Um, I like that I'm an introvert and I love public speaking. Mm -hmm. Um, I like to tell people that I like that I'm from Kentucky and very interested in mindfulness and meditation. (laughs) Um, People don't expect that. 
um, but it's there. I like that um, I really care about local government, but understand that in our world, we need to make some changes with the way that our government structure is structured and we need to make it a little more open and inclusive and we need to fix some problems. You know, I like that those contradictions or seeming contradictions can exist in a person. And I like that I get to, to help people see that they maybe really aren't contradictions at all. They're just, yeah. you can hold multiple things within yourself at once. Right. And part of the public speaking piece is I think people have valued what they think would make a good public speaker <laughs> incorrectly. Um, so are you an Enneagram? I heard you talk about uh, the Myers-Briggs. Are you an Enneagram person? That's the most recent uh, personality disorder. Yeah. Not disorder, I, not disorder personality test. Honestly, like I've taken lots of them because I've done lots of leadership development programs and things. Um, mm -hmm. And I've been surprised at how accurate many of them have been. Um, I did the predictive index test. And that was one where you just literally like go click through a bunch of questions. And I took like no time with it. And then it was like, it was like very descriptive and accurate in terms of how I am. Mm -hmm. um, I took the test and I got loyalist, um, which it wasn't, I wasn't aware of that in myself. Um, uh, but it was pretty, it was pretty accurate. Yeah. I was not really aware that loyalty and loyalty personally to me, like I've never necessarily thought of it that way. Like that has never been a word I've used very much, but when I looked at it, kind of closer I could understand and to be truthful like I don't bring people into my life that you know are false or not really with me I don't I've never had frenemies I know a lot of women <laughs> friends that do um, yeah. I've just never done that because if I if I'm not really with people I just I, I just don't spend my time with them right. I'm pretty open about who I'm willing to bring in and I, I like that it's a variety of people from different backgrounds um, but when somebody shows that they're not really with me or I can't really trust them, I don't, I don't have a lot of space for that. Um, and I think that's actually a good thing. Um, so uh, I think I actually build a lot of trust with the people that are my friends because, because they know they can count on me. So, um, but that was a really interesting insight. Like I did not expect that result at all. Um, so it, it's cool. I, I don't know quite a lot about it yet. Um, so if you know more, I'd love to hear it. <laughs> well, I was, I was curious because, well, I won't go all the way down my rabbit hole personality tests, but I was curious because after talking to you for 10 minutes, I can see some similarities in our personalities. So I was wondering, I wonder if the Enneagram thinks the same thing is true, uh, especially whenever you were talking about liking the, uh, what would be perceived as contradictions or kind of challenging conventional thinking. Um, would be kind of mm -hmm. how you were describing the mindfulness, but also a Kentuckian and introvert, but also liking the public speaking. I'm uh, very much someone who likes to uh, challenge conventional thinking. And so I was wondering, I wonder if that's, and that's, I think. Yeah, I'm not exactly like, a rebel though. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I like, I, you're, I, you're I sort of follower. like, I like, I like tradition. I, I kind of am because I, I, tr I, I think that rules, I tend to trust procedures more than I trust individuals in the moment. So I think like <laughs> if we can set procedures up well and allow them to change enough that they fit the current circumstances and then we follow the procedures, I think we're generally going to get to better results than if we just rely on individuals in the moment. 
However, I will say, I do think like, and I think that's part of why I like meditation because it is something you can do to get yourself in a better position most of the time. Uh, and that you can go back to when you need it. Like when, when crisis is really there, then you can go back to that. Sure. Um, so in some ways, like I do, I do actually really like tradition in a lot of ways. And I like mixing it with new stuff. Um, I don't think we should just cast things off because they're old. But I think what we need to do is to continually look to see if they are still relevant. And if so, how? Um, so I'm, I'm kind of, I have a sense of tradition and I have a sense of novelty. Um, and I think, you know, my parents are very different people and I think I kind of get the, I think that those contradiction and the love of the contradictions is probably from them because they are nothing alike. (laughs) (laughs) That might be it. I think you also described one of the differences in an attorney and a therapist is, uh, (laughs) maybe that's what it is. The, the attorney would want the policy procedure structure. Mm -hmm. Whereas yeah. the therapist is like, you know, let's see what the person in the moment can do. So you went to law school in Louisville, mm-hmm. currently living in Covington, which is very close to Cincinnati. I'm, I live in actually Union, which is uh, just south of Florence. So okay. uh, the Florence y'all uh, that you see off of 75, <laughs> right, right there. But my office is in Covington, right across from the river. Okay. So it's all Northern Kentucky, you know, yeah. it's all one region. Yeah, I... I'm a Kentuckian, but I don't make it to Northern Kentucky very often. But it's I'm kind sure, of a drive for you. <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure you don't make it to Western Kentucky very often. We're, we're all a little salty about everybody in Central Kentucky and Northern never coming, wanting to come to our part of the, the state. Northern kind of forgets about most of the state, honestly. <laughs> like um, a lot of the leadership work that I've done and I still do is trying to encourage Northern Kentuckians to engage with Kentucky. Like I, I think honestly, the benefit of living here is that we get to be part of the Cincinnati region, but also part of Kentucky. And we, I so, think sometimes forget about Kentucky. And I think to our detriment, um, like we don't vote. And so we don't always have, like we don't, our, our voter turnout numbers are always lower than the rest of the state. And I think we lag behind in terms of um, what we get back from Frankfurt because of that. Um, and so I'm always you know, a lot of times like with my chamber and or other things, trying to work to encourage people to engage because it helps our local community. And I think it would put, position us better to be, you know, part of the leadership triangle for the state in terms of economic <laughs> development and moving the state forward. Yeah. No, that's, that's some good insight there. That's interesting about the voter turnout too. I guess there's just so much attention given uh, on the other side of the river that you... Mm-hmm. We're not as concerned about. Yeah, Truly part of our ad market, it, we get Cincinnati ads, but in elections that we don't vote in, you know, um, and that's <laughs> yeah. changing a little bit because we're moving away from TV to online. I have my personal preferences about politics and what happens, but I don't care what political party you're in. I want everybody to go and vote because this is this is our country and our community. We gotta we gotta you know invest in it at least a little bit. So uh, talk a little bit more about specifically the law that you practice because mm-hmm. that's kind of like your foundation for some of the other things that you um, get involved in which this is a mental health podcast so we're going to get into how you uh, have found your way into paying attention to that with uh, people in your niche but I think kind of starting off with your foundation of um, your the law that you practice will help get us there yeah so mindfulness isn't necessarily a 
logical or direct outgrowth of my practice specifically, but it's had benefits for it. Um, so the law that I practice is local government. Um, I started doing civil rights litigation um, for police officers, uh, jails, um, things like that. Um, I actually really enjoyed it. I enjoyed doing defense work and um, helping people through lawsuits. I've struggled with that at times, but you know, normally in the cases where we have a bad case, um, something that isn't right happened, we try to get that case settled. Um, and so my ability to see that is really beneficial to my clients and, and frankly, the other party as well. And so um, that's, that's been a good experience. Um, my, early in my practice, we had one client who had a lot of needs in the area of special education. I went to Catholic school. I didn't know anything about special <laughs> education. I had no intentions on doing school law at all. Um, but I like learning new things. I've always really liked administrative law because of some of the procedural stuff we've talked about. Uh Um, And so I was happy to jump in and learn it. Um, I did. I started going to conferences with teachers and other educators um, because there didn't have a lot of special ed conferences in Kentucky that I could get to. um, And I developed a specialty in it. And then I became basically the school law associate. Uh, and I started getting questions on everything and attending school board meetings. Um, and so my practice really drastically went towards school law. Um, a couple years ago, my partner um, ran for office and he won. Um, and so now he's my Commonwealth attorney out here in Boone County. Uh, but I inherited some of his clients, the, a library board and a city. So I added a little bit more general counsel to that. So I have a mix of general counsel, which means I'm answering day-to-day questions for clients but then also I do litigation. Most of that litigation is school, but I also pick up other things on occasion, um, uh, just you know, depending on what's going on and how busy practice is. Uh, that's kind of how law practice is, is that you have to learn to adapt, pick up new things, go back to old things, um, and just serve the clients at the time they need you um, because things always change. Everything has been, for the most part, under the umbrella of local government. So it may sound like there's a lot of things that I'm mixing in, but once you kind of understand local government, it's sort of like understanding the rhythm of a song. Once you get that, you can learn how to improvise a little bit at times when you need to, um, Mm. because you have the general flow of it. Um, And so that's, that's the way that, you know, my practice has ended up working out. Um, I don't know that it's very common for people to mix general counsel and litigation that way, but I like it because I can sort of help, help solve problems and then help fight fires. <laughs> and I kind of like being able to do both. Yeah. It gives you, it's always nice to have variety in our work. It keeps us from getting bored or not stretching. Yeah, absolutely. But in the midst of that, you have latched on to the value of mindfulness and do presentations on mindfulness and primary audience being people that are attorneys. Is that right? Um, I I would say professionals. I think probably more recently I have spoken more for attorneys. I actually started doing it for my chamber of commerce. They had, I very, I'm very active in our women's initiative up here in Northern Kentucky. They had a regional summit. Um, and until 2018, I really had not even told anyone that I meditate except for 
um, and family. Um, but I was a writer in residence for a group called Miss JD uh, for women lawyers. And I wrote an article about mindfulness and my meditation practice. Um, and that ended up getting republished in a couple of magazines. And I got a lot of great feedback about that. Um, later that year, um, they were planning the regional summit and one, my mentor um, and coach encouraged me to apply um, and talk about mindfulness. And I really hadn't thought about it, but I presented it and did a presentation for, I called it mindfulness tools for women professionals. So I, I just kind of explained and demonstrated a few mindfulness practices that women could use to deal with common issues that we just face in our professional lives, like being tired after working out, wanting to go to the networking event or dealing with a stressful meeting or um, just uh, dealing with pain or hurt. Um, uh, and it wasn't that I was some expert teacher. It was more that I just helped them apply some of these practices to their own life and to envision how it might help them. And I got amazing feedback from that. And people were like, how, how often have you done this before? And I was like, never. I mean, <laughs> I hadn't. Um, but it, it went really well. And then um, I was involved in another group for lawyers, and they needed a different kind of speaker um, for a CLE we were doing. And I said, I think I can turn this into a CLE for lawyers. <laughs> um, and it ended up working. I got approved for ethics. And then I've done several other presentations. I'm doing one later this week. Um, for a national organization. Um, so it's been really kind of eye-opening. And as I presented, I've learned more about it too, about what really people are looking for. Um, so that's been really neat and fun. So it's kind of been this random story, um, mm -hmm. but it's been something that has been really rewarding. Uh, frankly, in the last six months, you know, with everything up and down, it, it was just so nice to have something to offer to help people it helped me stay on an even keel. Uh, and so I feel really grateful that I had this random journey. Yeah, no, that's, that's great. And very, uh, <clears throat> very much uh, a part of the mission of this podcast is to um, just open the door to know that we all have mental health. Uh, it's not just uh, something that happens to us in a bad way. It's, it's just like physical health. We all have mental health. We need to be finding ways to exercise our minds to keep us in a good spot and it sounds like you took that upon yourself and you found a, a way to do that with meditating and um, stumbled upon a way to encourage others to, to do the same. Do you mind sharing a little bit about your personal um, way that you do that mindfulness and then maybe a little bit about how you have found to teach that to others? Mindfulness is, <laughs> it's, uh, it's very much a buzz, buzz term right now. And so sometimes, as you know, when things become a buzz where they kind of lose their meaning and everything becomes, uh, you know, if you stop and think twice about what you're doing, people are like, well, I'm being mindful. So mm -hmm. I think it's, it's always good to bring it back to truly what it is. Um, so talk a little bit about how it's impacted you and then how you teach people on that level. Yeah. So I, I ended up starting to meditate. It was, it, it was also very random, like how I got into it. Um, I was a philosophy major in college um, and just hadn't taken any Asian philosophy classes. I noticed a book on Buddhism at Barnes and Noble one night. I was there with my family and sort of stuck there while everyone else was doing something. Uh, so I wandered into that section, found a book on just an overview on Buddhism and picked it up. It sat on my shelf for two years or more. I finally read it. 
And it made more sense to me than any argument I ever read in college. And I, I'm not saying that, you know, uh, I'm not trying to compare the Buddha and Aristotle or anything like that, but it just, it spoke to me in a way that um, other things I had read didn't um, because it was just based on the cold hard facts. Um, and then it actually offered a solution. Um, now, despite that, again, I waited two years or more to start meditating um, consistently. I dabbled with it um, and never really could make my set, self sit still. In 2012, I had a really difficult pregnancy. Um, I um, had postpartum depression. Um, and a lot of that was really about my lack of self-compassion. Um, I did not start meditating until 2013 because that was enough time for me to figure out stuff with my new daughter, uh, get back into my practice, and I had a coming. I didn't start meditating to seek out self-compassion. I met, started meditating because I had so many things to do that I would look around the office for minutes trying to figure out what to do next. And mm -hmm. I just didn't have time to waste. I needed something to help me focus and stay steady um, at that moment. And I started with one to two minutes a day um, and uh, just a timer on my phone. I would sometimes sit in my closet or in my basement trying to find any quiet spot um, and it still helped. Um, and then I ended up starting to use apps and podcasts and things more and grow over time. Then like I think two to three years later, I started to go to a few retreats um, and um, even like a day retreat or a weekend, it, it was able, I was able to get outside of my norm enough to see some of the patterns I had um, and to break free from those. Um, and so, you know, it, I just have so many situations in my life where I've seen how the practice has helped me um, and has helped me get rid of some destructive thought processes. I had problems with my temper. I had problems with overthinking. Um, I had problems with a huge doubt voice. Um, and meditation has helped me um, not necessarily get rid of all those, but not be so troubled by them. And it's just made me a happier person who's willing to take risks and reach out to help other people. And that has made me happier. And my practice has done so much better. So that's that story is why I wanted to share it because I think, I think some of my, my personal thing is that I learn something and, and to continue learning, I have to go share it. I think that's, that's just part of the process for me. Um, and it's something that has, has really, you know, made me very happy to do. Interesting part of that story to me is you took it on uh, using like survival mentality. It seems like most mindfulness for attempts for people start with, I was reading this article that I saw on Facebook about mindful, you know what I mean? Whereas you, like you came to it more organically and you saw it as a, I need to do something to, for survival, right? To protect, mm -hmm. you know, being able to be successful and doing those things. So the way that it organically happened for you is real interesting to me. Yeah. And actually like I, because I talk about mindfulness a lot, um, I have a lot of friends who are always like, well, I should meditate more. I should do this more. And I sometimes, I mean, I sometimes do say to them or, or I want to that like, well, you might not be quite as troubled as I was. <laughs> I mean, you may, you may not need it quite right. in the way that some people who meditate and get a lot from it do. Um, I think that anyone can benefit from, from meditation. And I, I think that honestly though, 
honestly, you need more than one thing to manage your mental health because sure. not every tool works every time and not every tool is available to you in every context. Like right. I, I actually also exercise every day. And actually I came back to that through mindfulness because I was really kind of judgmental of myself when I, I exercise before. And then once I had meditated more and I learned more about self-compassion, I, I learned how to kind of coach myself through it, you know, internally in my head. Mm -hmm. And now I love exercising, but that's a piece of mental health, you know, learning to reach out to friends because as an introvert, I went inside um, and I now, ha I now still have to force myself a little bit to seek support, but I at least know that I, I can. Um, and so that's, that's a huge game changer. Um, and just doing things to, to bring yourself joy in life. Like I, I think so many professions, but legal profession in particular, like we focus so much on everyone else and what we can do for everyone else. And we forget ourselves. Um, so you need, you need a whole toolbox of things that you can do to help yourself through life because life is hard. I do think meditation is one that can be a tool for almost anybody, but if meditation doesn't speak to you now, I would say go find what does because, you know, most, I, I think, I don't know who said this, but I know, you know, within, within Buddhism and going to some of the retreats and classes I've gone to, they say there's a thousand doors to enlightenment, right? So mm -hmm. there's a thousand ways you can come to it. So maybe you're focusing on yoga now, but maybe that brings you back to meditation down the road. I wouldn't judge that so much to let them go of some of those judgments because that is, I, that is the probably one of the best gifts of my practice is that it let me let go of judgment so I could get back to people and get back to happiness. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that. I love that answer, especially the, the piece of, you know, maybe, maybe you don't need as much meditation as I do. That's really interesting. It's kind of like uh, one day, uh, you know, talking with my wife about uh, we were like, well, let's simplify and be, look at this minimalist program. And then it's like, well, this is kind of like a triathlete who is picking up a exercise schedule. <laughs> like we didn't, we didn't need as much help minimizing or simplifying our life. So it's kind of that same concept of just uh, knowing what you need and uh, being able to do that. So someone that is successful with it, whenever you're in that meditation spot, where do you take your mind? I, so I have had, because I'm, I, I just go to retreats based on my schedule, honestly, and where I can get to, you know, within driving distance of like two, three hours. So mm -hmm. I have gone to retreats with Zen um, folks. I've gone to retreats uh, with the Vipassana style. Um, I have, I am currently in a meditation teacher training program that comes from more science backgrounds. So the founder of that, uh, that, um, entity worked for the National Institute of Health. So her focus is more on, um, healing arts, um, within medical science to learn that. Um, I went on a retreat one time and the, the teacher said, yeah, just let yourself sit there. I'm like, just let myself sit there. Not like rush back to the breath. She's like, no, just like let yourself sit there. Cause that's when you see the insights. It took me a long time to figure that out. Um, but more recently I've seen that a lot more clearly. Uh, and then I usually try to do a little bit of loving kindness practice. When I first started out with that, I was very traditional and I would do like the, the categories of people in the traditional way. And I would offer the traditional phrases, 
but sometimes, you know, I, I don't always remember, um, depending on where I am with the time and whatever. And so sometimes it's very brief. Um, and I, I also tend to, in my daily life, bring up loving kindness a lot. Um, like if I'm struggling running outside, I, I, I'm, you know, you know, remembering like to, to offer myself that, um, but that's kind of the practice I do. I, I try to get 30 minutes a day. Sometimes 20 works better. Sometimes I can do a little bit longer. Some days I, I, I miss um, because of the way things are. Uh, sometimes I get five minutes. Um, but, um, but that's generally the, the platform that I follow. Um, I kind of like incorporating you know, body focus. I like incorporating loving kindness and I like incorporating uh, mindfulness and just awareness of what's going on now. Cause I think yet generally, if you've got those things covered, you're going to get to the right place. Yeah, that's, that sounds great. Um, one other thing I want to be sure and uh, transition into is this program that you're a part of called mother's Esquire. Mm-hmm. Um, talk about the, the goal of that organization and your role and involvement in it? Uh, yeah, I, I am involved in lots of groups um, with respect to the legal profession and just professionals in general. And, and I do think that that is something that has really helped me as an introvert to kind of get out of my shell, um, to have some influence in the world, to find community. Uh, but Mother's Esquire is one of them. And Mother's Esquire is another random thing as well, because I, um, I actually went to law school with the founder of Mother's Esquire. She was one year behind me, but I didn't really know her. Uh, and then I moved away from Louisville um, and so didn't really know her then. And then I joined the group and I started sharing my blog posts for Miss JD there. Um, and I had 12 of them over the course of a year. So I guess people started to know who I was. And I became friends with Michelle and lots of other members in that group and then ended up joining the board. Um, and after that ended, I kind of was looking for somewhere else to write and do some more things with as well. So I do uh, content and community with Esquire. So I help our LinkedIn page. I help write blog posts. I help encourage other people to write. Um, but what we do is we try to help um, equalize the legal profession. We have a problem in the profession um, with women leaving um, the, the legal profession. Um, so we have had uh, at or about 50% um, law school graduates for years be women. Um, but still to this day, law firms are not equally represented in terms of equity partners, so owners of firms. Um, about, I think that most good numbers range between 20 um, on the low end percent partners um, who are females, and then about 30% on the very high end. Um, for most um, firms. So there is a huge disparity um, with respect to women in the profession. And I will also tell you that in turn, those disparities exist as to uh, racial and ethnic um, uh, groups within in the profession. We also have a um, profession that's overwhelmingly white and very much male. Um, and that's not necessarily to say that white males are, are bad or don't do a good job or anything like that, but it has it has real ramifications in terms of um, having a representative legal profession so that they can address the unique needs of their clients. Um, it also has a repercussion politically because many lawyers go on to run for office or become judges. And so we have lack of diversity in those areas as well. 
So we are trying to help address the motherhood penalty that happens um, with many women who run into roadblocks in terms of um, just having their career and then advancing it that many men don't have. Um, And we do that by providing just community and support because we have a large Facebook group with about 5,000 women in it that share ideas, sometimes just vent, sometimes offer referrals um, or or, um, just educational opportunities. But we also do some advocacy work as well. Um, And that extends to breastfeeding accommodations and courthouses or firms or at conferences um, or things like uh, asking for parental continuances with courts so that a woman who has a new baby um, doesn't lose trial experience because her baby comes right when the trial is, is coming, right. uh, because that is one of the problems as well. So or delaying a pregnancy, is there? Yeah, I mean, you know, and in some cases, you know, there are situations of like, you know, you really can't control that. Um, But also like we've had, you know, some members who have had situations with infertility and then they finally get pregnant and then they have to deal with situations um, in court where, you know, their clients are told that they can't choose their attorney because there's not a continuance, you know, available Mm -hmm. for this. I mean, so we are trying to work through some of those issues. We don't believe that, you know, these issues exist really because people want to hold women back. I think it's more, we've had a lot of the decisions historically have been made by men who have had someone at home raising their kids. Uh, And we're still working through all of the little rules and things that get in the way um, to to make the situation more livable, more equal, and we hope better for all lawyers. Yeah, it's a a great project. And um, uh, I can see that, you know, as I talked to you, and I even thought about this before um, with the recent loss of uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, uh, you know, whenever somebody passes, we see um, quotes, you know, all the, all the famous quotes, we, you know, how that goes. And I saw one, uh, and I can't help but think about uh, all the work that you do outside your legal practice that we've discussed today and wonder if this ever was an inspiration when uh, she said, if you want to be a true professional, you will do something outside yourself, something to repair tears in your community, something to make life a little better for people less fortunate than you. That's what I think a meaningful life is living not for oneself, but for one's community. And, you know, as we've had our conversation here and um, that's exactly what you're describing. And so I, I mean, I wonder if that's consciously something that has driven you or um, that's just who you are. I think to some degree it has been consciously. Both of my parents are lawyers. Uh, my grandfather was a lawyer. They were all very active with local government uh, and professional groups in other ways. My mom like sat on our school board for my my school. Okay. Uh, my dad's been on every board, you know, in right. the area. Uh, and, and it wasn't really like they told me ever to do it, but I saw it. Sure. Um, right now, especially because of all the political divides. And like I, you know, I live in Northern Kentucky and um, it's a very conservative area. So navigating all those differences is hard. Um, but, you know, when you start to do it and you actually are yourself, um, you find that people really respect it. Even if they disagree with you, I think most people really respect it. There's always going to be some naysayers and some people who are 
burdened with anger or other things that they, they maybe can't react well, but most people, that's not the case. Um, and so I think, you know, I found myself by being willing to be a leader in my community. Um, like one of the things that I did very early on was we, I was in a leadership program and we had a class project and we had um, the idea come that we would do a makerspace for kids in schools. Mm. Uh, and I just thought it was a fantastic idea. Um, and I advocated very strongly for it. We ended up doing it. We rose, raised a hundred thousand dollars and built that in our community. And it led to a lot of other great things. Uh, but doing that really helped people see me as a leader and see me as someone in the community when that wasn't the case before. So I think like if you, if you don't, you know, there's, I like how she says, get outside of yourself because, mm -hmm. you know, in, in Buddhism, there's a concept of not self. And some people struggle with that idea um, that it means you don't really exist. And that's not really true. It means you don't exist in your final form that your identity is always changing and subject to change. And I think she's sort of saying is don't get too fixed on what your identity is. See what you can do to help and let that grow. Because mm -hmm. I'm sure that when she was, you know, at getting out of law school, I, I'm sure she didn't envision herself on the Supreme court, but she was, <laughs> she was willing to let herself grow and be who she was. And so that's why we love her. So we all have to do the same and try to avoid, you know, letting our identities get calcified and coming up with reasons to say no. I think that, you know, it's more, what can we say yes to? We always have to be mindful of our limits and what, what we really have to focus on at the time. But I, I, I just believe being open, uh, being willing to lead is something that has helped me become who I am and um, build a community of people along the way. Yeah. Well, I um, respect your approach to that. I think uh, you've done, you're doing a lot of good things, not only inside the legal profession, but just professionals in general. And um, it's good for, for me as a mental health professional to really um, explore how um, the layman, so to speak, uh, have found ways to, to be mentally healthy because again, um, it's not about some sort of um, pervasive disorder that makes us have mental health. We all have mental health and taking care of it uh, is very important at all times. Yeah. I mean, I, I have been really, I, I've learned to be very open about mm -hmm. some of my struggles with like postpartum depression and my pregnancy and things, because I hope people know that if you struggle at times, like that might be exactly what can turn into your real power in, in your life. And mm -hmm. it can turn into something very good if you learn to care for it and treat it the way it's asking to be treated. Yeah. Um, and, and that's been my experience. So I like to talk about it and be open about it because I know like when I was going through it, I felt pretty hopeless and I felt like it was the end. And then after I experienced it, I know I felt a period of shame where I couldn't talk about it. Mm. But the truth is once you learn to really embrace that story in yourself and embrace that struggle and how strong you were to get through it, that's, that's where your power comes in. That's, that's a fantastic word. Uh, thanks again for joining me, Claire. I really appreciate you taking some time uh, out for me and uh, being able to share your story in some ways that you're impacting your community. I, I do really 
again, appreciate that approach of, look, I'm going to find where I can help and let, and let the leadership follow rather than I'm going to promote myself and put myself, try to find a leadership position and then do something. Um, I think the, the way that you go about it is more impactful and more successful and um, makes more of a difference. So again, thank you very much. All right. Thank you. This has been Mapping Healthy Minds, a podcast sponsored by Compass Counseling. We all have mental health and taking care of it can't wait. You can learn more about Compass Counseling or book an appointment online at compasscounseling.com. Compass offers counseling online and in person in Paducah, Henderson, and Owensboro, Kentucky. If you enjoyed this episode, you may find other episodes of this show that you enjoy. We are found on Spotify or on Apple Podcasts. All the episodes are also on MappingHealthyMinds.com. And of course, we are also on the social media machine, Facebook and Instagram are places where you can catch more information about the podcast and on the guests that come on the podcast. I'm your host, Justin Lewis, and please remember that we all have mental health and taking care of it is very, very important.